This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 52 of the Wisdom by Oisa show on the Horse Radio Network. This is Mike Donnell. I'm Casey Wilbanks-Coletti. And this is Sophia Aguilar. Welcome to Wisdom by Wessa on the Horse Radio Network. This podcast is brought to you by the Western and English Sales Association, WISA, which provides the world's largest trade events for retailers, manufacturers, and sales representatives of the equestrian industry. In this podcast, we feature exclusive interviews with noteworthy Western and English personalities, retailers, and exhibitors who you've always wanted to talk to. Don't miss out on all the news for manufacturers and retailers in the equine industry. The 2021 Bill Shackelford Salesperson of the Year will be joining us today. You have already shared that the WISA board votes on the award winners, but Sophia, can you fill us in on who submits the candidates? Yeah, so really any WESA member can submit someone except, of course, for themselves, not just the board members, but really just any WESA member. And then just a little bit of background or reason why that person was dominated would always be helpful. And today's guest in 2021, Bill Shackleford, Salesperson of the Year, winner was dominated by a member of the board. Can you share what some of the criteria and the background information that the board is is looking for before they vote? So this award that we're going to be talking about today is given out to recognize distinguished professionalism, dedication, and service. So really any information or stories about these categories are helpful. And today's guest, for example, is very popular among his clients of different retail stores and has given back to the community in many meaningful ways. But let's hear about all those stories from today's guest himself. James Thompson has been named the recipient of WISA's 2021 Bill Shackelford Salesperson of the Year. James has devoted almost his entire career to the Western industry, primarily as a sales representative for Larry Mahan brand products and Milano hats. We've invited him on the show today to discuss what's changed in the Western sales world, what's been the same, and his particular interest in public service marketing. Mr. James Thompson, thanks so much for joining us on the Wisdom by Lisa show, and congratulations to being uh, awarded the 2021 Bill Shackelford Salesperson of the Year by Lisa. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate you having me on your show. It's uh, great to have you on. Obviously, you know, you've got a lot of sales skills. I'd like to ask a couple of questions to start because I know you've been in this business for a long time. Question number one, from the time you started in the 70s to dealing with today's issues, and we'll set COVID aside for a second question, what's okay. changed in selling in the Western marketplace since you started uh, in the 70s? Well, in the 70s, anything you had that was any any type of Western goods was hot. And I was in the boot business. I mean, everybody was selling boots and uh, having fun with it. We were doing more women's boots and, than men's, actually, when the most, most of the boot companies were doing just the opposite. And But we were making real comfortable and real stylish boots and having a lot of fun selling in Aspen and Las Vegas and Vail and 
in Santa Fe, going to all the hot spots where the tourists were really, and they were, you know, panicked for the expensive boots, exotic boots, and whatnot that we did. But the urban cowboy thing had started at that time, and so from feather hat bands to uh, stuff that you don't want to talk about to really neat, cool stuff. And and over the years, I found out this is a you go through those periods, and it never has been that strong since the 70s and early 80s, but you go through those periods, and then it seems like uh, it shuts down for a little while. You know, people get too many pairs of boots or the companies oversell or whatever, and we have changes through the years. That's what I've really seen. And uh, then over the years, the because uh, everybody thought the Western wear business was big, uh, big companies came in and uh, uh, started buying up the, the good Western stores and making it into one. And then they would get too big and or get too over over uh, too much liability and, and to go out of business. So as time went on, the Western stores kind of started dwindling and you saw more farm stores coming in and they started selling, you know, the less expensive Western world stuff. And to this point, it never did recover after the eighties, as far as the big time Western stores, because these, these conglomerates would keep coming in and buying up the, the good stores. And then, <laughs> then three or four years later, something would happen and they would be gone and the stores didn't come back. And what I've, how I've survived, and luckily, when the, the uh, Hispanics started coming in real strong and uh, they started putting in their stores and, and they, they usually buy most of their boots and that type of product out of uh, Mexico. But I had a hat line. Uh, they, they were always buying Stetson hats. And we had a hat line that Mr. Milano had developed, Milano Hat Company, and he catered to the Mexicans and uh, they uh, wanted that Larry Maha, which means Larry Mahan and things, <laughs> but but uh, that that's what kept me going. And if it hadn't been for them, I'd probably be doing something else because there's just not that many good Western stores that buy a lot of quality stuff. There's a lot of farm farm stores and, and, and stores that buy less expensive merchandise, but we've got some hats that are, you know, $2,000. <laughs> so not a whole lot of people can afford it, but the Mexicans, that's, that's uh, they, they want the better boots and the better hats. And, uh, that's really helped me a lot, and that's how I stayed in it, and that's what's changed over the years. And thank goodness for them, because they buy a lot more than the Western stores ever did. And I still still sell Western stores at better stores, but you know they buy from a lot of other people and a lot of other, you know, like Sess and Resist All, American and whatnot. And uh, the Mexican stores pretty much by Larry Mahan, so that's really helped me tremendously. Now they're buying Justin and Tony Lama. We also do those hats. But that's so, what I've seen change. What's happened in the last six months, if anything, due to the well, pandemic has changed the way that you go to market and has changed the way that your customers go to market? Well, January is always our kickoff at the market that's been here in Denver for years. And uh, that's where we started. And we had a very good market in January. And then in March, the virus hit and the uh, February, I guess, end of February, first part of March, it hit. And as everything else, everything shut down, you know, for quite some time. And we kind of had to wait it out a little bit. Uh, financially, the the, uh, the same stores that I do the most business. Now, the, now the mom-and-pop Western stores, some of them didn't close in Montana and Oklahoma and, and even in Wyoming. But people pretty much quit buying there for a while. And 
they stayed open and, and what they did sell a lot of was work boots and gloves and that type of stuff. Cause they, they were essentials and some of them could stay open, but they just barely paid the, the minimum, you know, that keep their lights on or whatever. And, uh, the Mexican stores, most of them did close, but then they started opening back up. They all carry work boots and whatnot too. And, um, the good thing about them, a lot of them, uh, the Mexican stores, they, all their merchandise is paid for. They don't have, uh, now, there's a few there's a few that aren't, but most of the ones I deal with, I mean, they, they're in pretty good shape financially, so they can they can pretty much wait it out, and they've opened back up, and everybody is still slow compared to what it was prior to, to March. But uh, it's picking back up, and you see a little bit, you know, you see it getting better all the time. So we just have to hang in there like everybody else is doing. Great. Casey, hop in here. Well, I'm I'm sitting here and, and listening. Of course, I'm a a woman, a woman that loves fashion. I love the Western fashion too. But when I think of the '70s and I think of Larry Mahan, I I go back to the history at Madison Square Garden and the fact that there's not a lot of cowboys that were there, and not just a, a great cowboy, but um, were in the oh. fashion industry back then, right there in New York City, and. Um, there's a very neat article online from the New York Times from September of 1975, and it talks about him bringing, you know, the Western way of life out to the East and how mm-hmm. at that time he really thought it would catch on. And I guess my question to you is how neat is that to have that history? Because um, even though it was in the 70s, you know, fashion evolves and fashion always comes back around and things of that nature. But to have that history from a cowboy um a cowboy that knows, a man that knows uh, what that Western well, time. Well, I was just, I was very lucky. Uh, when we first started, when I even, first time I met Larry Mahan, we started, or they had, he had started a little shirt line from a, a fashion company out of California. They had started, and in, in the line, pre, the previous season was in the Western style with the yokes and whatnot, and didn't even, didn't retail at all. And somebody had taken some pictures of Larry. He was a world champion cowboy at that time. And had taken some pictures of Larry coming out of the chute, you know, on a buck and a horse or a bull and, uh, and blew those up and made posters out of them. And at that time there was these jean shops that were just going crazy. This was before the cowboy thing. Yet. And they put these posters in all these jean shops and, and all of a sudden, you know, the idea got, well, let's make a shirt line for him. And so they put, they were fashion shirts and they took the buttons off and put snaps on them and, uh, made long tails instead of the short ones. And the first mark we had in Dallas, they did over a million dollars <laughs> I mean, with 12 <laughs> styles of shirts. It's amazing. And now I'm not saying we shipped, I'm not saying we shipped them all. <laughs> and yeah. I mean, the people were, people were standing there writing their own orders. And we said, I, I think the most expensive shirt wholesale was 29, 50 or something like that, you know, not yeah. even $30. Yeah. And for example, a little, little account here in Denver that had nothing but anything but H4C, which is a poly cotton expensive shirt. And, but never had anything but that in their store. They sent their buyer down to Dallas for that market. He bought $65,000 at wholesale in oh those shirts. God. And, and they ran a little ad that was about three inches tall 
that Larry was going to be at the store when they, when we shipped them. And that's the first time I met Larry and I'm thinking, you know, who's going to see that ad? And it wasn't even an ad. It's just a book column. And there was people standing outside the store to get in. And, and it went from there. And it was, it, we felt like rock stars for about 10 years. There, and I was a lot younger. Yeah. The stories you must we, have. It was, it was fun. It was so much yes. fun. And, and the history and the stories. And that's something I want to talk about with this award. And congratulations um, well, for this you. award, by the way. But to be to be a salesperson of the year, um, a common trait that I see is is being a people person. And so it's, it's a whole different dynamic than just selling items. And it's, it's well, more, it's yes. more than that. Yes. And be honest with you, when I started in this business, it was... Uh, companies uh, gave you a car, or uh, some of them did. They gave me one, and and uh, and they paid you a a, a uh, draw, what they call a draw, you know, to help you get started and whatnot. And it was, you know, I mean, rooms were forty five dollars, and gas was was a dollar fifty, probably. I don't even know what it was, but it was very inexpensive. But that was a, such a special time sure. that uh, and such a fun time, and I was just so lucky to meet. Larry Mayan, I mean, he's like my, he's like my brother now at this, yeah. this, this stage in life. I spent a lot of time with him yes. and uh, he's a very special guy. He gives so much back to this industry and to just everybody and, and nobody, a lot of people, 90% of people don't even know what he does as far as giving back and charities and whatnot. Yes. He's just very special in that way. And he's a real, real deal. You know. And that's something we want to touch more on giving back and exactly. It, and I, and I and I want you to talk about it in whatever direction you want to go with it, but it not just in our industry, not just in this industry, whether it's fat, it doesn't matter what part of life. Giving back is so important, but I'd like to hear um, your stance on why. Why is giving back well, so important? It's just so fulfilling. I mean, the few times that I've been available to do it, and, and most of the time it was with Larry, and I can give you two examples for that just really or most memorable to me, but there was a little Western store down on Larimer Street one time and they, uh, one time in the early days and they had uh, a, a ranch out by Castle Rock, just Ron and Sherry shelf on. And they'd always been in the leather industry and whatnot. And they got into the Cowboys, started selling boots and hats. And so they, I think they, I'm not positive, but I think they had a child that had several palsy. And for some reason they set it up and Larry was involved and he brought some horses up and, we went, I went, I was down there and help them, you know, with the horses and whatnot. And, uh, they had these kids, children on the horses. And this one little girl, she looked like she's about 12 years old and she was so handicapped that she couldn't, didn't have any balance or whatever. And so she was laying on the horse with, and somebody was leading the horse, no saddle. And she was laying down on the horse and her arms were drooped under the horse's neck. And they were leading her around and they were doing this as a lot of the other kids. But I noticed the mom was just crying and bawling. And I'm going, I asked somebody, I said, what is the matter? And she said, it's the first time she had ever seen her daughter smile. Oh, God. Now that, oh, you know, yeah. it, just, it goes my heart right now. A year later, that same girl was sit, sitting up in a saddle riding a horse. Oh, now that's how wonderful. A big, that's, isn't that, that is so cool. And the other one, this is, this is, this is a, this is this is when you feel like a rock star. Uh, one year after the Denver market, uh, a school called, 
and called on hey they even got my somebody gave me my number and they were looking for Larry and Larry already Larry usually would come in on Saturday and Sunday and leave, you know, Sunday evening or whatever during the markets. And this is like a Monday and she was wanting to talk to Larry about coming out. The rodeo was going on here in Denver and uh, to talk to Larry about doing a you know, just t- telling the kids about what it is to be a rodeo cowboy and all this. And I explained to her that he had, unfortunately, he had already left. And she said, well, would you do it? And I'm going, well, uh, let me think about that. And, of course, I said <laughs> yes. And uh, what I did, I had no idea what I was getting into. And I got it. I got a couple of friends together that one guy could take pictures on another front. A real good friend of mine had two young boys. And they were little cowboys. And they had their horse. They had a horse of their own one of them and so we took brought the horse out there and my gosh there was 300 children out there and i and i'm going through this whole thing not even realizing there there's like four or five different languages none of me know what i'm saying and of course we've got our shaps on and the spurs you know and these little kids are showing them how they this one little boy i've got a picture of him sitting on his horse and he's got his spurs on and, and they're up around the horse's neck and showing how you come out of a chute and the, you know i mean he's and, he's, and, the, and the school is behind Mile High. It's called, let me see what it is, Chel- Cheltenham Elementary. And it's just a bowl of unfortunate children. I mean, poor families and everything else. And they had done, you know, they, they had bandanas on. Or you tell that the parents had dressed them up for that day or whatever. And so we went through all this stuff. And at the end, we were letting the little kids in the wheelchairs, you know, leave the horse again and putting them on the horse and whatnot. And we got a lot of pictures taken. And so when I got the pictures back, I was getting ready. I was on my way to Montana and I got the pictures back and I, there was one picture in there that I just, I, I had to take, I just wanted to make sure that the, the little girl's parents got this picture because she was just darling. And, and she, they took the picture as she was kissing the horse's lips. Okay. Oh, standing in front goodness. of the horse and had it. And, and so I just wanted to make sure I got that to her and I was going to be gone for a while. And I think I'd been to somebody's birthday party the night before, and I was not in a real good mood. But I go into the school, and uh, the lady, you know, went to the front desk, and they had no idea who the girl was. I'm showing her that picture. I had probably 150 pictures. And uh, so, but she said, they're all in the cafeteria right now. And she said, the, the women that, you know, that, that uh, at the register, they know them all. So go in there right now. So I went in there. Here's all these kids. And while I'm talking to the lady at the register, I see the little girl I'm looking for. And I go over and I'm not paying any attention. And all these all these kids that had been out there that day. And I mean, I couldn't believe how many there were. And and uh, they're in there having lunch at the same time. And I go over and I'm trying to explain to her. She probably didn't speak English. But whatever, I was explaining to her that I wanted to make sure that her parents got that picture. And we're riding kind of in the middle of the room. And I'm not paying attention. And all of a sudden, when these kids saw me, and saw whatever, you know, I was over there talking to her. They like charged me and they're screaming, cowboy, 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 <laughs> at the top of their lungs. And the teachers and the people are just laughing so hard. And I, I mean, I've walked out of there like I was 10 feet tall. <laughs> I mean, and they were just, you know, they were, t- and they were touching me, you know, cowboy, cowboy, cowboy. They were just, they mobbed me. I mean, I feel like <laughs> Mick Jagger. <laughs> is it, yes, isn't that something when you set out to give, oh. you're you're going to, you're trying to make their day, but what ends up happening yes. is they oh, end it up made making day. your day. And, yes. and what I came away with that, if that if that made two little, uh, one little girl, three little girls, four little boys, whatever, 
change something in their life to give them hope. I mean, that's how simple it is to oh, do. Sure. And that just, that's to this day, that was 30 years ago. And to this day, I get hair standing up on the back of my neck when I tell that story. Because it was, and both of them were just so yes. cool. I mean, and especially the little girl riding the horse, you know. And but no matter how much time goes by, human needs all still stay the same. And oh I think that's goodness. something super important in what we're all living through in this pandemic right now. But uh, the mom and, and me so needs simple. to wipe. So yes. simple. My, the mom and me yeah. needs to wipe my tears down a little bit now, but I know Mike <laughs> wants to jump in here too. Well, no, I, mean, I think those are great stories. And it kind of relates to one question that I want to ask. You touched on it a little bit. Young person comes to you now that was the is the age of when you started selling, or but now it's a different different era and comes to you and wants to learn to be a salesperson. And I guess my question would be, because clearly the Shackelford Award means you have been successful in this, not only in, as you discussed, the community service, but in the dollars and cents and the hard work that it takes uh, to sell something. What would you advise them to do if they want today, or somebody's in sales but wants to get better? What's your advice to become a better salesperson today, tomorrow than they are today? Well, it's 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 uh, uh, now it's it's getting more high tech, just like everything else is. But a lot of these companies are going to younger people, you know, and and that they can give them a car back to what I did start with, and and uh, put them on a salary, and not pay them as much commission. When these salesmen start making more than the president, and that's happened in several cases, not all the time, obviously, but they get a little itchy, especially if they have stock holders, you know. But the only people really that are hiring someone with no experience is a new company starting up that need the need the you know people to travel and whatnot. But the young guy, he's got to start with most of the time, unless he's just real lucky, he has got to start with a company that's just trying to get started that needs somebody out there beating the beating the hat, you know, and 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 trying to get the goods in the store and and build it up. And the other thing that keeps it going is people still going into business, starting new stores. But that's hard to do right now, you know, with the economy and whatnot. But during when the economy picks back up and people start opening new stores, they don't see a lot of salesmen. And, and uh, you know, that helps somebody that's starting out. They can get their goods in there. But yes. I would say try to find somebody to hire you to give you a salary and, that, and get that experience. And then if you want to you know, go to another company where it's only commission because that takes some guts to do it, especially this time. I mean, you got to really have something behind you to, to afford to do it. So that's pretty much it. Okay. Well, listen, I thank you for taking the time to speak with us, uh, not only about your interesting history from the 70s through today, staying in this industry, but the great stories that you shared yeah. in terms of public service and community service being an integral part of representing a company and a brand. Well, and, and let me tell you something about how, what makes it happen. And as far as being successful in this business, if, they, if, if you do it as a partnership, and they know they can trust you where you're, I mean, you can do it for them. A lot of these companies, they just let you do it for them after, you, after you've dealt with them so long because they've got other things they have to deal with. But the people that 
the neat thing about it is the people I've met over the years, that are, whether they're still in business or not, a lot of them are doing business with their grandkids, you know, at that age. And But it's, it's almost a family thing. And back to the Mexicans, once they trust you and deal with you, they they're, it's all family-oriented with, with them still, which I've missed growing up. That's where it was when I was growing up. But because uh, they do everything they do with their kids, and every time they have a party for one of their daughters or something, you're invited. I mean, that's that's still special, and uh, that part you can't pay for. You just you just get it through through uh, doing your work and you know and, and staying in it long enough. But, but I, I do want to add that the retail stores were people, the, the mom and pops way back when. You know, I mean, it's just they were just wonderful people, great people. Well, the business has changed, but clearly the role of an experienced, talented, community-minded salesperson hasn't changed much because you're here talking with us. Well, that's true. That's true. And I I still have a passion for it. People ask me, when am I going to retire? I'm going, you know, do you know something I don't know? And then I tell them, you know, I'm going to keep in as long as I'm healthy because it's Somebody said one time, you retire, you expire, and you can look around and see a lot of that happening every day. (laughs) That's that's entirely true. Well, thanks a lot for your time. We do appreciate it. I appreciate you calling. Thank you. Okay, my friend. Thanks, James. Bye-bye. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Show notes and links from today's show can be found at the website wisdombyoisa.com. And, of course, we'd love to hear your feedback. There is a contact link on that website. The Wisdom by Wisa show will be published on the 15th and 30th of every month. You can listen on most of your favorite podcast players, and you can also listen on the Horse Radio Network app on your iOS or Android phone. You just search Horse Radio Network in the App Store. It's free and it's super easy to use. Be sure to visit all the great shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Thanks for listening to the Wisdom by Wisa podcast. Wisa, where the industry meets.